You're listening to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast by Clear Capital. Each month, your co-hosts, Jeff Allen and Keenan Chen, will bring you compelling stories and revolutionary ideas from the people, companies, and institutions at the intersection of real estate, finance, and technology. Want to be a guest on the show or have an idea for an episode? Email marketing at clearcapital.com and let us know. And now, here's the show. Hello, and welcome back to ClearCast, the real estate fintech podcast. This is episode eight. If you can't already tell, the audio quality of this episode is going to be significantly improved. Stellar. Over our prior uh, quarantine Zoom recordings because, wait for it, we are together in the same room. Woot woot. Hi, Keenan. Hey, Jeff. I'm Jeff Allen, and I'm joined as always by Keenan Chen, and we are together. Yes. In the house of uh, Clear Capital CEO Dwayne Andrews in Tahoe. I love it because now I can interrupt you without a lag. <laughs> <laughs> it is more like real life. And we're also joined, let's give a special shout out to Matt Lush from the marketing team who is our audio guru. He's in the room with us too. Hi, Matt. <laughs> this is a big deal for us. It's nice to see it you. It is. It's, it's, it's been six months. So it has. It's very good. Yeah, and not just a big deal for the podcast, but for, for us to actually interact together in person and our executive team to interact together in person. It's pretty cool. Love it. So um, together here today, we've got a fun episode planned. Later on, we've got Max Simkoff joining us, uh, the CEO of State's Title. Um, and before we uh, get into our discussion with Max, we're going to talk about some real estate market stories and then um, an all original real estate joke of the pod. Very excited. So Keenan, let's let's dig into the real estate fintech market overview because I can tell you are not excited for the pod joke. So lots of things happening. Um, we've seen not just one news story, but several news stories mm-hmm. around uh, the IPOs of mortgage lenders. Um, most of them seem to be non-banks, but uh, you know, in, in rapid succession, we've had Quicken. Uh, UWM, Loan Depot, Caliber, uh, a number of different uh, uh, non-bank lenders, uh, you know, get ready for IPO or actually announce IPOs. So, uh, Jeff, what's going on? Why the uh, why the trend here? Well, as an expert in IPOs, <laughs> I'm uniquely qualified <laughs> to speak to this matter. No, uh, no. Re- realistically, though, as a non-expert, I mean, I think it's pretty it's pretty obvious what's what's going on here. Um, these are folks who have made serious advances in the market um, in the last couple years and are, are really, even according to their own public statements, doing better than ever. Really strong volume, record revenue, record profits in all of the IPO documentation and public statements that these companies are making. They're definitely speaking to, hey, this is a great time um, to be in the mortgage game um, with the you know, purchase market being strong and the refi boom certainly still going on. Um, and so all of them are, are, you know, in some ways taking advantage of how well they're doing right now, but it's also representative of where, um, where they intend to be going. Um, they're, they all are, are trying to raise capital, it would seem, because they want to continue to invest in the digitization. Digitization. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, a, somebody is shooting a gun there. 
the duck, di- duck mat. <laughs> uh, the digitization of the mortgage process. You know, a lot of these companies have been at the forefront of that already, and it seems like you know even in their public statements, the intention is that there's this cash will give them the ability to compete in an arms race to further benefit the consumer. So really, there is a, a forward-looking benefit in some of this, Keenan. Well, that's that's good news then, in a way, right? If if yeah. they really are truly focused on the customer experience on a more efficient process. Great. Yeah. It it means a better customer experience, not only from these companies, but probably from the constellation of FinTech companies and service providers who help support them and support their customers. So in general, this could be a positive thing. Mm -hmm. Another news story um, that I think the entire world is watching even outside of our, our, um, outside of our industry, and it's not so much a story so much as it is um, a general mood and sense in the country is is that of social upheaval. Uh, these are pretty intense times, to say the least. Um, we have a COVID pandemic that has a lot of people sheltered in place. We've had the murder of George Floyd, uh, the Jacob Blake shooting, um, racial unrest, civil unrest. Um, and these are and widening wealth gaps caused by COVID. That's another story we've been monitoring. These are really intense times, um, to put it mildly. And typically, our industry, mortgage and real estate, tends not to get super involved in political issues, social issues, and cultural issues. But it feels a little different this time. It seems sort of like, um, you know, companies have not been able to ignore it and then have seen almost that they play a role um, in trying to improve it. And actually, Keenan. Um, you were recently on a panel relative to this housing wire uh, last week or the week before had a panel called business strategies during social upheaval. That sounds like it was pretty interesting. Can you tell us a little bit about it? So yeah, being, uh, being on that panel is actually really, really inspiring uh, for, for me. I was, I was joined by uh, panelists from Quicken Loans, Trina Scott, the chief diversity officer there, Montel Watson, who's the director of corporate strategy at Movement mortgage and uh it was moderated by adam constantine um who's the the ceo of of ace creative and and um you know it ended up being a lot more personal i think um you know being being a person of color i I didn't expect you know to really i think dive into you know personally how i was uh, seeing opportunities right to um to take my own emotional response to what's been going on during this time but translate that into um, uh, the the opportunity that we have. We just talked about all these companies IPOing, right? All yeah. of these lenders um, having you know record a record season here, um, and you know while so many during COVID are not having a great time, so many yeah. folks are are out of work, <laughs> or, are unemployed, um, you know, uh, are not seeing certainty as to when their businesses can even fully come back, you know, rest, the restaurant industry, yeah. uh, entertainment industry. And so to me, it seems like it's the right thing for the housing industry to be having these conversations because not only are we, we best set up to, to have solutions uh, for it because we're doing well and we actually have extra that we could give back, if you will, but also housing is in the center of wealth creation in America. So if there's a wealth gap, then housing is certainly going to be one of the largest levers to, um, to look at ways to, you know, to create more opportunity for more people. So, you know, we got to explore some of those issues, you know, both on a personal level, 
as well as on a, you know, what can we do in a corporate strategy level? So I'm really excited to see where this could go and, and keeping these conversations going. Yeah. Does it feel like the door is open for these conversations more so in our industry than, than perhaps in the past? I, I, I think so. And, and, and not in a, not in just a, not in a political way, but in mm-hmm. a, in a desire to see it really change. Yeah. You know, um, uh, not just to make a statement, but to, to see real results. I'm, I'm getting that. Yeah. That vibe, you know? Yeah. 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 And with all the negative st- stuff that's been going on, AKA the litany of stuff that I listed off at the beginning, it's nice to know that there's actual people who want to see lives improve right now mm-hmm. and that our industry might be part of making that happen. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we're starting to see the, the role that, you know, being a valuation company, right. And, and caring a lot about accuracy and, mm-hmm. and putting values on properties. Um, we see it as, yeah, let's hit this thing head on. We have the technology, we have the, the access to, to data. Why can't we solve this? You know, wh- why can't we, we improve value, valuation accuracy in a way that does remove bias and create opportunity. Sure. Um, so, uh, yeah, exciting times in a way. Yeah. And whether that bias is intentional or unintentional, it, it's, it's, you know, there's certainly an argument that it's there. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for that, Keenan. Um, so from a very important and serious topic to a very unimportant and unserious topic, it's time for the real estate joke of the pod. I'm glad you recognize that, Jeff. Thank you. Uh, I have now committed publicly to those at Clear Capital, and I'm committing on this podcast that every joke that is on this podcast from here on out will be an original. These are all personally oh. written. Stress tested with my wife and usually friends over some <laughs> drinks. Uh, and so you're getting a battle tested original joke. Are you ready? You know, I'm going to, I'm going to have to say yes. Thank you. You don't have a choice. <laughs> so there's this real estate agent, right? You with me so far? Yes, I'm with you. Okay, cool. Yeah. And they're working with a new client. This is a buyer and they're meeting up for their first day of touring houses together. And they meet up at the first house, and this is super weird, but the buyer is carrying a portable speaker that's playing this basic, monotonous dance music. Like, that's really weird. Like, why would you have that playing? And so the real estate agent is thinking to himself, like, man, this is super weird. What is the deal with this dance music, and why is this buyer playing it? But, you know, I really need the commission, so I'm just going to ignore it. He'll probably turn the dance music off soon. So they finished the first tour of the, of the first house. Dance music's playing the whole time. All 4,000 square feet of the property. And the buyer, or excuse me, the agent asks the buyer, well, what'd you think of the place? And over the din of the music still playing, the buyer says, too small. Let's go to the next one. So they get in their separate cars. They drive to the second house. And again, through the whole tour, the buyer is playing this same steady rhythmic dance music <laughs> through the whole house. The realtor is getting even more weirded out. He's like, this is crazy. Uh, but I can't, I can't believe this guy's still playing dance music during every showing. You know, hopefully he stops soon again. I, I just, let's hope, hopefully we can just close this deal and move on. Right. So they finished the tour of the second house, all 7,000 square feet of the property. 
Music playing the whole time, and the realtor asks the buyer, well, what'd you think of the place? And uh, the buyer says, it's too small. Let's go see the next one. So now the agent is like, man, this is getting crazy. This guy's really tough to please. And this dance music thing is getting weirder and weirder. Why won't he stop playing it? But okay, we've got one more place to see today. It's even bigger than the last two. Hopefully he'll like this one. So they drive to the last place. They head in. The guy is still playing the dance music the whole time. They tour all 10,000 square feet of the place. They finish the tour. Dance music's on the whole time. And they finish. The the agent asks the buyer, well, what did you think of the place? With the boombox still playing, the buyer says, it's still too small, man. These houses today are all way too small. The realtor finally loses it on the buyer. Out loud, he goes, okay, first, why is it that every house today we've looked at is too small for you? These places are huge. And second, most importantly, why are you still playing that boring, monotonous dance music all day? The buyer turns the music off, looks at the agent and says, I guess you could say I'm just a big house fan. (laughs) Do you get it? Can you explain it to me? Uh, you know, I went through a, a, a house music phase. Did you? Jeff, I have to say. Okay. And um, and so, yeah, I, I, I get it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great, Keenan. I'm so glad you got it. Um, that one actually came together pretty quickly. A little just behind the joke, you know. That one came together pretty quickly. Just I a couple hours. I didn't see it coming. I didn't. You didn't expect the house joke? No, no. Yeah. Not the house music joke. Big house fan. Me a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're excited uh, today to have uh, a, a really awesome guest. Uh, I think I can say, you know, a friend of ours, Max Simkoff, uh, who is the uh, uh, the CEO and founder of, of States Title. And uh, Max started uh, with States in, in 2016. Um spurred on by personally experiencing <laughs> <laughs> friction and uh uh and and off the rails things going on with related to title insurance um uh, in his own home buying process so hopefully we'll get to learn more about that and since then he's worked to provide an innovative solution to homeowners brokers and mortgage bankers um uh, around title uh utilizing technology machine learning we'll get to learn about that and uh He's uh, had experience as an entrepreneur um, as well in the past, experiencing uh, founding and operating technology companies. So, uh, and we're really excited that we're actually here in person. I know. Are we allowed to? Are we allowed to admit say that? that? I guess. Well, we just said it. <laughs> <laughs> the COVID is rampant. We are all we're, we are all six feet apart. Yes. That's true. Yeah. Yes. Yes. So, welcome, Max. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, we'd love to learn a little bit you know, more about what makes state's title unique. There's a number of title companies that, you know, that are out there. So, so what makes you guys uh, special? What's your approach? Yeah. So um, what makes state's title unique is that we're the only company in the business that uh, takes a focus on removing all of the friction, frustration, and expense involved with uh, closing a mortgage due to title and escrow. So um, this industry has been one that for a long time, has been built kind of incrementally on the uh, 
foundation of antiquated infrastructure and uh, the prices continue to go up and up and up and uh, there haven't been a lot of efficiencies, meaningful efficiencies um, introduced to the way that title and escrow works. And so we looked at it and said, you know, the technology exists to make quick work of most of that and make for a more instant mortgage closing experience. So, uh, you know, at this point we're the only company in the business who's using um, machine intelligence across every aspect of the of the process to again just make it a an instant you know enjoyable uh, and more affordable experience. Awesome. So tell us a little bit about the origin story because as Keenan mentioned in your 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 official bio, <laughs> uh, it specifically references that you have personal experience with the friction and labor caused by title insurance. So <laughs> tell us about that personal story. What is like this? galvanizing moment for you it might look my galvanizing moment is this it's probably the same as you know, most people i talk to when i i tell them they're like oh you know what do you do and i say well i you know i um am building a title company and um you know you kind of see their face change a bit where they're like oh geez like how do i get out of this conversation <laughs> hey what is title <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but but my experience my personal experience is the same one that usually causes people to kind of scrunch up their face a bit which is that like closing a, a mortgage like you know, signing the paperwork, understanding all of the costs and stuff. It's just like really painful. Yeah. Um, I saw a survey somewhere recently that said that um, the process of getting and closing a mortgage was ranked as the 21st um, <clears throat> most enjoyable experience. <laughs> and the 20th was the, was the, was losing a close friend. Right? So it's like, <laughs> this is less enjoyable than losing a close friend. <laughs> Right. Um, and so, you know, I was sitting there during my first mortgage closing and um, I was talking to the escrow officer of the title company and kind of asking them to explain all this stuff. Right. Like, what do these documents mean? Um, I, I found an error on the closing statement uh, while I was at my signing. Uh, it was a pretty meaningfully sized error, like a lot of money. Um, wow. Not in my favor. And when I asked them to correct it, they were like, well, you know, they, they kind of scratched it out with a pen and then initialed it. And they were like, Hey, just, you know, now you can sign. And I was like, no, I'm not, I'm not going to sign that. I, I need new docs. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And of course the, one of the problems about this industry is that, that then they had to go print a new closing package, which is like, you know, 95 pages long. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was sitting there in, in, in this title company office, this company will remain nameless. Um, one of the large legacy incumbents. And, um, I thought there's just, the, this can't be the, the best that, that this industry has to offer. Right. Yeah. Um, I, what caused me to start the company the, you know, after that was I thought surely I was probably just signing my docs at the wrong title company. Right. Mm -hmm. Like that there was, a, there was a title company out there that was using modern day technology and you could do this stuff digitally and it was easily understandable and transparent. And what I found was that I was experiencing kind of the, you know, the best of the worst, uh, <laughs> that the industry was. And, uh, and so that's where I decided to say, you know, I, I feel like, with my entrepreneurial naivete, I could probably, you know, do, do a better job. Yeah. And so you were an entrepreneur before, but did you have any experience in mortgage? Zero. Okay. Zero in mortgage, zero in real estate. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which again, I use that term naivete. Like I think that if, if founders, if founders didn't have that, like they would be too smart to start businesses, right? You gotta, right. you gotta, you gotta, you gotta be in the dark about something to, to, believe that you can change it. <laughs> <laughs> so, all right. So you decided to, to bring, bring that to the industry and, um, the title space isn't 
really known for innovation. There's no. a lot of legacy there. So I would imagine you would have run up against some hurdles right away um, trying to do something new. So what was that journey like kind of hitting, whether it was regulatory hurdles or just people even putting their minds around what does it mean to use machine intelligence in this in this process? Yeah, it was. I mean, you could go down the list and we hit them all. So it was our original um, business goal was to create an instantly underwritten title policy, right? So if you look at the kind of the crux of what title insurance itself is, it's historically been people doing backwards looking research on property records to find and fix potential issues that could stand in the way of the closing. And we said, we think we can um, do that algorithmically. And so the obstacles that we encountered then were like, well, nobody's ever done that for title insurance before. So, um, you know, lenders aren't going to be familiar with it. Uh, the construct of the product was more like actual insurance, right? We were going to estimate risk probabilistically and then take that risk on our balance sheet, which made people like the GSEs very nervous, right? They mm -hmm. said, you guys are a startup insurance company. You're trying to take more risk, um, you know, to provide a more streamlined process. Uh, and then, to, you know, to add insult to injury, the only way you can really take that risk is if you're an actual insurance carrier and the way you get licenses as an insurance carrier state by state. So you have to go and convince every state in the country separately that, you know, this is a worthy approach and it's going to be to the benefit of policyholders. And so it's like, if you were to read off a list of reasons why a business shouldn't work, <laughs> it's like, you know, the, the potential customers are maybe put off by it. They're, you know, mortgage lenders are super risk averse. Um, realtors obviously don't want things that are going to, you know, cause problems in a deal. The secondary market's likely not going to accept it. You got a bunch of rookie people who, with no experience in either real estate or insurance, trying to start an insurance carrier, and you know, state state regulators probably aren't going to give you insurance licenses to run your business. <laughs> what, what could go wrong? <laughs> Where do I invest? <laughs> Sign me up. <laughs> yeah, so we, we we dealt with them all, um, and we did it. You know, look, I'm I'm really proud of how um, I think in the at, at the time we were lucky in that. Um, we were doing this against the backdrop of some companies um, like transportation network companies. So again, without naming names specifically, um, you know, there was, there were some transportation network companies that had, that had kind of blitzed onto the scene and done it by like, Hey, we'll just like introduce a new business model regulators be damned. And then we'll, you know, we'll, we'll basically um, ask forgiveness, not permission. Um, and we saw firsthand that that approach really we felt was not wise. Right. And so we, we um, we started talking to regulators and we started talking to the GSEs, right? We got to know the folks at Fannie and Freddie and um, and and Ginny and 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 we explained what we wanted to do and why it was in the benefit of the customer and why it would bring about more affordable home ownership and um, and we were just really fortunate that um, they worked collaboratively with us to kind of outline the the parameters of what we would have to do to operate in a way that was acceptable to them and we kind of you know just ticked every box along the way. You make it sound so easy, but I'm guessing it was a lot harder than <laughs> than that description. <laughs> no, it was not. It was not easy. No, I mean, it, yeah, I, I shouldn't make it sound that. I mean, we w there was a point at which, in order to convince one of the GSEs that this model was going to work, where we were back validating a predictive decision model based on a simulated scenario that was. Um, the the Great Depression, not the you know the the mortgage crisis, like mm -hmm. 1932, when like one in four mortgages was going into default. Yeah. Um, and 
And so like th- those were the kind, and we had to prove that even in that scenario, we could operate profitably without, you know, causing the company to go under. And so it was, it was not easy. I, I, I th- there were plenty of twists and turns along the way. For sure. For sure. Hey, we've talked um, about machine learning being part of your guys' solution. You've mentioned it a few times. Um, if you were going to play, you know, mortgage company bingo, you know, machine learning is definitely, it's in the hot corners. Uh, blockchain, <laughs> right. probably in there. Yeah. What other ones am I missing? AI, which is <laughs> another name R- for machine learning. RPA. RPA. I mean, there's, so it's a, it's an overused buzz term, but it really seems like you guys have made it like a key component of, of your strategy. It's yeah. not just lip service. So if you could speak a little bit to kind of the machine learning capabilities you guys are are, are using, um, you know, and what that helps you unlock. Sure. So, I mean, we look at machine learning as basically training machines to uh, operate with qualities of human decision-making. Um, we, our, our data science team would probably draw a distinction between machine learning and artificial intelligence, which sure. is where the machine is able <clears throat> to operate almost independently and completely right. autonomously. Um, and so the ways that, that we've, um, really built machine learning and what we call machine intelligence into every aspect of what we do is that we start with, um, you know, a fundamental decision in mind in the case of, um, uh, instant underwriting, it, it was, you know, can we replace the traditional title search and examination process with, um, an algorithm that can determine risk of a title defect. And then the algorithm can itself get smarter over time based on the data that comes through as a feedback loop, right? Which is kind of the most basic, um, you know, construct of, of machine learning that, that I think you'd see in most industries. And so we, we created a model, a predictive model, uh, based on, uh, a, a set of rough guesses, um, that we wanted to validate. We back validated that model on, um, a validation data set. And then we effectively turned the model loose on a, a holdout sample that we call a training data set to know how it would perform so that we, it was at a, an initial threshold that was high enough that we believed it would be effective. And then what happens is over time, we funnel data back into that model. Again, this is related to the instant underwriting piece that tells us things like, did we see claims, you know, on uh, properties that we guessed wrong on? Mm-hmm. Um, and if we saw those claims where they have the magnitude that we would have predicted, or when our model spits out something is too high of a risk and it goes to a team that we have who does the, the title work in the traditional way, um, that's what's referred to as human in the loop machine learning, right? Because now we have a group of people who are doing the work manually on what the model said, you know, wouldn't pass the threshold and their outputs get funneled back into that model over time to make it smarter at knowing what to pass off to, to people to do with their discretion. Um, we've taken that construct now and we've applied it to every aspect of, of title and escrow. So like we're now using machine learning constructs for um, interpreting uh, closing disclosures. So we have a natural language model that reads that PDF, uh, that final closing disclosure PDF that gets sent to a title company by pretty much every lender. And that, that natural language model is actually getting smarter at understanding because it looks at so many terms, even within a single mortgage lender, two different mortgage processors may use different terminology to refer to the same fee on the closing mm-hmm. disclosure, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. One may say homeowner's insurance fee, the other one may say insurance fee, right? Mm-hmm. And our, our natural language model gets smarter and smarter over time, the more data it consumes it, knowing that those two different terms mean the same thing and they need to be treated the same way for balancing the statement. Mm-hmm. Um, the one thing I'll say about all this is like, look, we have, you know, we've we've been granted several utility patents on, on unique methods of machine learning. One in particular for instant underwriting, another one for how we determine what we call phantom mortgages um, that would show up in the title search process. 
but a lot of the machine learning applications that we use today are they're built on you know stuff that's available to anybody mm-hmm. right yeah um, mm-hmm. there's great open source libraries for some of this componentry um, it's just gotten a lot cheaper and more efficient to build this stuff um, what's hard to find as you guys know is the talent right? right finding people who know how to do this work and um, and who are committed to doing it in our space that's that's you know that's what's really tough I would imagine with this model kind of, you know, leaning a bit into the, the real estate side uh, of things, you mentioned realtors, you know, before, um, yeah, who's, who was that? Who was you. That? It was Turn, both of us. I had also <laughs> happened to me. Turn your notifications off. <laughs> okay. Uh, I'm not distracted at all. Um, <laughs> squirrel. So, uh, so for, for realtors, you know, that must be a bit different for people to get their their heads around how you know how should real estate agents be maybe rethinking their process or that their referral process to to title companies yeah i think so the 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 real estate you know agency concept i think is just going through a dramatic transformation in and of itself and i to answer the question like how real estate agents should think of working with modern day title platforms like ourselves in the same way that they're working with modern day platforms for um, generating leads, uh, for doing disclosures. Um, I think we've, we've really been pleased to see that there's a lot of real estate agents now who are, they, they know that like their, their time is their most valuable asset and the more time they can spend managing customer relationships and the less time they can spend doing things like making sure that a notary is going to show up for a closing or making sure that the closing date's actually going to happen um, the better. And, and, and so, you know, our approach with realtors is a bit different than with lenders. And and that is that we focus on trying, we're, we're focused on trying to build our solution for realtors that will make it, that will make closing invisible, right? Mm-hmm. Once they know that they have a, um, a deal that's going to get done, they never have to worry again that there's going to be, you know, any number of issues that can happen between accepted offer and the time all the docs are signed. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, it's something that I think they're getting more and more used to with a lot of these other tools that they're using. Like they're, they're getting used to machine learning themselves and seeing the value of it in so many other apps and, and solutions that they're using in their workflow. So I think we just are going to fit, you know, really naturally into that. Yeah. And what you guys are doing is obviously very technology focused, cutting edge, but you guys are also just so everyone's clear a, a nationwide title fulfillment provider um, with hundreds of employees, multiple office locations, I mean, real boots on the ground fulfillment. Um, so obviously, you know, the pandemic has impacted you guys um, the same way it's impacted any company with a, with a footprint and multiple offices. Take us through the first couple of weeks of the pandemic for states. Oof. Um, so we were across 110 offices, only 12% enabled to work remote wow. when COVID happened. So it wasn't even one of these, it was like, you know, we had hundreds of people who did not have a laptop that they could take home. Um, because again, a, lo- a lot of our fulfillment network, particularly on the purchase side, still conforms to some of the regulatory requirements around signing in person in an office environment. Um, and that literally meant that like, you know, people had desktop computers still. Right. Um, and, and you know what I'm really proud of is that like our our entire company just turned on a dime and they did it in the most effective way possible, which was there's no rules about this now, right? It's like, you know, if you were preparing for this six months in advance, you would make sure that you 
had certain protocols, whatever, but we were like, no, we, we've got to continue servicing our customers mm-hmm. and we've got to enable our, our people. And so at the same time that we were like frantically ordering equipment and having it delivered to people's houses, like in some cases we had people just pack up their desktop PCs and drive them home. Right. We we're like, right. just plug it in yeah. and you know, we'll, we'll, we'll get you better situated in the coming weeks ahead. Um, so within two weeks we went from 12% of the company enabled to work from home to like 85% of the company working from home. Wow. Right. Um, and the remaining 15% were only the absolutely most essential kind of in-person, literally people that in some cases had to go to the county recorder's offices to do stuff. Um, but it was really an eye opener. Um, it also made us better, I think, at communicating with the company, which is ironic. It's like when, when we didn't have COVID and everybody was in an office, we probably assumed that at the office, you know, unit, there was communication going on about what was happening in the company. And when COVID hit, because it was so volatile and dramatic, um, we just started doing a weekly all hands meeting. Um, and we didn't have a preset agenda. It was just like, we're going to give you an update of what we know and, you know, what we're working on and what we're trying to solve. And, um, that to me again, was an eye opener that like, there's almost no such thing as too much communication with your team, Mm -hmm. you know, at a time like that. So, um, it, it really brought a lot of the team together. So put on your, uh, your, your, your wizard hat. <laughs> That's weird. I liked it though. Yeah. Did you bring a wizard hat? I don't, I, I don't have a wizard hat at home. Okay. Either, just for, for the record. <laughs> uh, and, uh, you know, step back from maybe not even from a state's title perspective, but you know, you've seen certain trends, I'm sure be accelerated through, through COVID, you know, what's, uh, what's going to stick, you know, and then, and then what do you think is something that's going to be surprising, um, that, uh, that it's going to be here to stay. So the things that are going to stick, um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, e-closing, anything e-closing related, right. Signing more docs digitally at the very least remote online notarization at best, you know, perhaps we're one step closer to having identity authentication and signature authentication that, doesn't even necessarily require uh, a notarized signature event. Um, I, I actually think that um, the concept of um, of instant uh, underwriting of collateral in general, so uh, whether that's title or uh, valuation, um, certainly you know we've seen um, you know a number of the uh, waivers from GSEs um, going up. I think that gets to what the the surprising thing, which is my personal perspective is, um, especially on things like collateral, you're going to see that, that I don't think we will see that continue forever. I think that, you know, there were, there were a set of circumstances involved with COVID and needing to accommodate more mortgage fulfillment in a short period of time. Um, that meant that there had to be, uh, an expanding of the aperture there. But I think that, um, for things that are as important, um, as, uh, you know, as risk around collateral and valuation and even certainly um, title in some cases um, that I, I think we're going to see a return to um, more unique solutions in the, you know, non GSE world driving a lot of the innovation um, once things get back to normal. Um, I'm trying to think what else would be a surprise, like what may be, look, most of the surprise has been positive, right? Mm-hmm. It's like state regulators, getting together and, you know, accepting remote online notarization in every state, unfortunately, except the state of California. And, mm. um, you know, this is 
it's like labor of love for us, but we're hopeful that California gets on board here pretty soon. Um, and, uh, you know, a lot of, um, a lot of lenders, um, very quickly breaking down process barriers to embrace new innovation that they, you know, that they just had to. And then they found out when they had to, that it's really great. Like they probably should have done it years ago. Um, so yeah, those would be the big ones. Cool. Well, Max, thank you so much for joining us today in Tahoe. <laughs> I'm sure that was difficult for you. <laughs> Twist my arm. <laughs> but it was great to hear about the history of states and your vision for the future. Thanks for joining. Definitely. Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it. What, and so do you, you play you play piano or <clears throat> I do and guitar and drums and wow bass and that's awesome other octave mandolin octave mandolin mm-hmm. yeah and the WYSIWYG and the, the WYSIWYG, WYSIWYG. <laughs> yeah. what you see is what you get <laughs> there we go we'll transition to Max there we're pros at this now. <laughs>